Amen. Well, I invite you to take the word of the Lord this morning and open it to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Our text this morning is verses 18 to 27 of 1 John chapter 2. I'd like to ask if you uh, have found that, that once again, that you would stand if you are able this morning as we read God's word together. John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he says this, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for your life-giving word. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to accompany your word, and Father, to bring about change in our life that only you can bring about, for without you, without your spirit, we are nothing. So Father, we pray your word would point us to Christ today, that your word would help us to see the truth about life, about death, about eternal life, about forgiveness of sins, and the person who brings it about. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. We may be seated. Today, we are continuing our study through this wonderful little letter. The passage we come to this morning really begins to put into focus the situation that the church or churches that John was writing to were facing, the context of the church that, that he wrote this letter to, the, the situation that was going on within the church, what was happening there, what were the temptations that were coming up against this church, what, what were things like in this church. The church John was writing to had been through division, a time of division. People had left the church. And the reason they left the church was because they were teaching something different about Jesus. 
John doesn't specify in this letter the exact issue or the content of what the false teachers were believing. That would have been common knowledge to the church that he was writing to, but we see glimpses of it. It had to do with understanding the nature of Jesus and his divinity, that Jesus truly had come in the flesh as the Son of God. He is fully divine and fully human. Something about that truth was being denied in these churches. And these teachers, they had believed the right thing about Jesus. They had made a good confession of Jesus. They were a part of these churches. They had received, we would say, the gospel. They made a good, good profession, but they had gone on to believe something else. They had moved on from the teaching they had received about who Jesus is, who he was, his ministry, what really was happening when the person of Jesus Christ, when his feet were walking on this earth. And we can tell from verse 26 of chapter 2, they were trying to get the members of these churches to come with them. They were, they were trying to get them to leave the church that they were a part of, and they were trying to bring them, as it were, as it states there in verse 26, to deceive these members, to leave the church they were a part of, to join them in their teaching and agree with it. And John is writing to those who had stayed, to the believers who were still in the church. And we've seen John speak about having a right attitude towards sin We've seen that in this letter. We'll continue to see that in uh, next passage coming. He has emphasized the characteristic of love in the life of a church and the life of a believer. And today these verses emphasize how we must also have a right belief about Jesus, a right belief, a right understanding of doctrine and of Christ. So John at this point in his life. He's a seasoned old apostle. He's old and advanced in years, and he's going to encourage, he is going to warn these churches and these church members. We'll break this section into four, or break this passage into four sections, where John is teaching He's warning, he is encouraging. So again, John is writing these things to those in the church. They had had people leave the church saying, what you are believing is wrong, what we are believing is right. They pulled out of the church, they left the church body, and they are trying to uh, teach those that were still in the church to come after them to believe the things that they are believing. And John is writing to those who had remained, to those who are in the churches, and so he is going to encourage them. We see this thought of abiding all throughout this passage. He's going to encourage them to remain, hold on to the faith, and teach them something about this false doctrine. So let's jump in in verse number 18, the first point. We see the reality of the last hour the reality of the last hour. John starts in verse number 18. He says, children. Again, just pausing on this for a moment, John shows his love and concern for those who, is, who he is writing to. This is no mere like just letter speaking to somebody. He loves these brothers and sisters in Christ. He refers to them as children. It's a term of endearment. And we know that love is one of the quintessential characteristics of a Christian. 
and of these believers. This is also a literary marker that John uses throughout this letter. And so he's beginning a new topic. And he spells out clearly that he wants these believers to realize the time that they are living in. He wants them to realize what time it is, not on your hand or on your watch what time it is, but what what time is it that we are living in? They are living in, as he says here, the last hour, the last hour. That is referring to the end times, we might say. The Gospels and elsewhere in the New Testament speak about this reality of the present age that we are living in and the age to come. The age right now when before Christ's second coming and then the age of his second coming. And that is the current life that we are living in, the future life that will come after Jesus returns and the new heavens and the new earth begin. And so think of the end times. We think of the the end times. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about the end times, but when we think about the end times or the last hour, think of us uh, many times maybe walking up to the edge of a cliff. And it may be at any moment that we could fall off. Maybe think of walking towards a cliff. I would just encourage us to think about the end times as not walking up to a cliff, but walking on the edge of the cliff. We could fall off at any moment. At any moment, Jesus could return. He could come to this earth. That's what it means to live in the last hour. And for 2,000 years since Christ came and ascended, his ascension, we have inevitably been walking right along the edge. Christ could come at any moment. And that's the reality of the day that we are living in. For John's hearers, his churches, and for us also, John shows that this is the case by the presence of antichrists. We see in verse 18, he says, children, it's the last hour. As you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. You can hear his logic that he gives them. And John brings up a new term here, a term that, believe it or not, is only used here in John's letter in 2 John 7, in the whole Bible, and that is Antichrist. Now, when you hear the word Antichrist, what do you think of when you hear that word? Do you mainly think of a world ruler, one that will lead a great persecution against God's people and rule the world? Well, we really need to focus in on what John is saying and what he points us to in this passage Because John is not desiring for us to focus on some future person, although I think the Bible teaches in a culminating person that will come. John wants us to focus on the present spirit of the Antichrist and the reality that he leads people astray, a present thing. In other words, John wants them and us to focus on a present threat, not something that might happen over there over here somewhere or sometime in the future. He says, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So obviously they had heard of Antichrist before John wrote this. And he states the truth that even now many Antichrists have come. And because they have come, we know it's the last hour. It is the end time. So John is just making this statement here. He is teaching the churches. He's teaching us, look, it's the last hour. It is the last hour Christ could return at any moment, at any time. 
I like the way Rich Mullins put it in one of his songs. He said, the time is short, just means the time is now. It means the time to believe in Jesus Christ is now. It is short, it is the last hour. It just means we are to believe the promises of God. Why does John speak like this? Why does he bring this truth up before he's gonna jump in to some sayings here? Well, he wants them, and by implication us, to beware, to realize what time it is, and to live and believe accordingly. Life is short. It is the last hour. Christ could return at any moment. That thought permeates the rest of these verses and leads right into what he says next in verse 19 to 21. Here in verse 19, in our second point, the truth about those who left and those who stayed. Verse 19, John is going to speak about those who left, and then verse 20, 21, he's going to speak about those who stayed. So he's going to give, give a reality speech here. He's going to say, here's the truth. Here's the truth about what is happening at your church, and here's the truth about what is taking place in it. First of all, verse 19, about those who left. As we stated, really the context of what uh, John is writing into really comes to the forefront in these verses. There was a schism in the church, a schism. Some had left. They had left doctrinally and they had left physically. They were a part of this church, their doctrine. They left with their doctrine to believe something else and physically they left. They either removed themselves most likely or removed from these churches. And this verse has so much to teach us, verse number 19. It teaches us about perseverance in the life of a Christian. We see the fact arise from these verses, an example of it in verse number 19, that true Christians persevere to the end. They continue to believe in the gospel message for the entirety of their lives. Those who left prove that they never were truly a part of the people of God because they didn't persevere with the people of God. And that became clear by their actions. Verse 19, it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see John's logic there? He kind of, it goes like, like this all throughout that verse. These people had believed the right thing about Jesus. They were brought into the church, but they did not persevere. They did not remain. They did not keep the faith, the apostolic message about Jesus. And that exit, their exit proved or made it plain that they were not truly part of the church. And we see a very important truth arise from this verse, verse number 19. We see a very important truth arise, and that is this. Walking away from the church is walking away from Jesus. Walking away from the church is walking away from Jesus. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christian who does not go to church, we could say. There is no such category in the Bible. This book will go on to say, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 
In other words, a sign of being saved is loving other people in the church. And how can one even love others in the church if they're not a part of the church? Much more to be said on that throughout the rest of this book. Look at the clear wedge that John places between those who are in the church and those who, are, who left the church. He uses this us, they language in verse 19 six times, six times in one verse. Let me just read the verse one more time. It's helpful with this verse, especially just to read it a couple times and listen to the us, they, as he draws this wedge in there. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, implied from us, right? You can, that's an implied one. They went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And so John is emphasizing this truth. He makes a, and marks a clear distinction between those in the church and those outside the church, those that remained and those that left. As far as the New Testament is concerned, to walk away from the church is to walk away from Christ. Now, before moving on, let me just, a point of clarification here. The Bible is not saying that if one person leaves one church to go to another church, that that is the same as walking away from Christ, right? Local churches and churches are not cults. John is speaking about a walking away from a true gospel-believing congregation and then either going to a false church or no church, right? He's speaking about someone who is coming to the people of God, think church universal here, the, the Catholic church, the universal church to walk away from the people of God, either to nothing or to a falsehood, is to walk away from Jesus. And that is what is being spoken of here. So the temptation they faced in this church was to leave the true church and to leave the true doctrine. Just one more point of clarification, the kind of the reverse of that is the same as well. Just because someone comes into a church or attends a church doesn't mean just by your attending, uh, right, that that person is, is saved. We know that. This is the old uh, catfish analogy, right? You can take a cat and hold it underwater, but that doesn't make it a catfish, right? No, you, uh, catfish live in water, and you can't keep them out for long in them to survive. But if you're a catfish, that is what you do live in water. Same thing with unbelievers. Just because they come into the church doesn't mean that they are a believer. But the point John is making here, the point he is making is the people of God, the people of God are in the body of Christ, the church. Those people had left. John is writing to those who remained. In verse 20 and 21, he addresses those who had stayed this is who he's writing the letter to, obviously. Listen to what he says about them. Verse number 20, he's saying this about those who had stayed. But you, he says, have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. This is, uh, three things to state about this verse quickly, ish. Verse, uh, first thing, they stayed. That's implied with the but, right? They stayed. They left, but... He's saying, you left, but you stayed. So first thing, they stayed. Those in verse 19 left, but not you. They're persevering is the point. 
True believers persevere in their faith. True believers persevere in the church. I hope that we as a church continue over and over again to see how important the local church is, the local body of Christ, how central a local biblical gospel-believing church is in the life of a Christian. God has ordained her. The local church is the only institution that will last forever. Just think about that. Nations and kingdoms of this earth, they come and given enough time, they go. Important, yes, but not ultimate, not lasting, not eternal. I pray that our love for the local church and our members and the way we think about it, that we will continue to see how drastically important the local church and brothers and sisters are in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we drastically in our life, we need one another. Any belief, any teaching that pulls you away from the church is not of God. We need one another. The people of God have always been a congregating people. From the beginning in Genesis, God has always congregated a people together that have met corporately, that belong together because of Jesus, because of God because of his promises to them, he creates a people. We see that all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, and all the way into eternity. Second thing here is they have an anointing. Verse 20 says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. Maybe a better translation is the New American Standard and some others. It brings out the present tense verb. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. John is saying, look, you are different because you have something these antichrists don't have. You have an anointing. John seems to be using a play on words here. Um, he uses this terminology, we can hear it as he wrote it, between antichristos, Christos, and charisma. That is antichrist, Christ, and anointing. You can see what John is doing here. He's saying, look, there are antichrists, those who are against Christ, there are there is the Christ, he is Christos, and there is Chrisma. You hear that same thing going all throughout uh, those words. That is the anointing. So he says you have the Antichrist over here who are walking away. You have Christ, and you all here, you have the Chrisma. You have Christ, you have the anointing. And he's referring there to the Holy Spirit. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And so he's contrasting even the way he speaks about it the reality of those that have stayed versus those who had left. They have the anointing. Number three, they know all things. So they stayed, they have an anointing, and they know all things. And you all have knowledge, or other translations literally put it, and you know all. Uh, so I guess there is a biblical category for know-it-alls, right? Yeah, there it is right there. You know all. But seriously, what is John speaking about here in this verse. John is telling them that they know all they need to know in relation to salvation. They do not need any other secret knowledge from any teacher. They need to listen to what the apostles handed down as the very words of Christ. He's saying basically in, 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 in essence, hey, listen, you're in the know. You've got what you need. You've got what you need. You know the truth. You know the words of life. You're not missing out on an important truth. 
That's exactly why John says in verse number 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. You know it and because no lie is of the truth. That's why I'm writing. He's saying, I'm not writing this letter to teach you something new, to give you some new information. He's not writing to them saying, hey, listen, you know all that stuff I said about Jesus being the Messiah and about him being a real person and truly God and about him being the sacrifice for sins and how he died on the cross for our sins. Uh, scratch that. I got a new message for you. This is something you need to know. That's what he's saying. He's like, no, that is not what I am doing. You do know the truth. You already know it. You've been given the truth. You've received the truth. I'm writing to confirm, to solidify that you know the truth. I'm writing to warn you about those who have slipped, those who have left, those who are believing something different and seeking to call you out to them. What they're teaching, John is saying, is actually the antichrists. It's a lie, but what you've received is the truth. And this leads right into the third major point where John shifts to speak about what these false teachers were doing and who they really are. So thirdly, we see the description of the false teachers in verse 22 to 23. How is the liar defined? Well, verse 22, it says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? These false teachers, these antichrists, were teaching a lie about the person of Jesus Christ. In chapter four, verse number two, in that section sheds similar light on this situation. Just glance over if you have your Bibles open there. Chapter four, verse two to three, gives us an, another, just a little bit of a light on the situation they were facing. He says there, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So they're somehow not confessing that Jesus Christ, the anointed one, came in the flesh. John states, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Antichrist, that's a, a punt translation. All they're doing is just transliterating that from the word anti-Christ. Anti means against, preposition against, and Christ means Christ, antichrist. They are against Christ. They are against him, the truth about him, the reality about him, who he is. They're teaching something different. And it's not as though you can come to God the Father without coming through Jesus. John clearly teaches, look at verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Listen, a very important truth, the only way to God, the only way to God, just think about this in light of our current society and with which we live in, which I, God and belief in God, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. There is no way to God except by Christ. And if you do not have Jesus, then you do not have God. Jesus is the only way to God. The Father. You cannot believe in God without coming through Jesus Christ. Many ancient heresies denied Jesus and the Father. Some thought that the Son of God did not really become incarnate in the person of Jesus. 
one heretic in particular named Serenthus held that the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus at his baptism and left Jesus before his crucifixion so that the person of Jesus died, but the Spirit of God was not upon him. Thus, in this view, the Christ did not suffer and die. He didn't shed his blood to be our Savior. Only a person did, because God couldn't do that. In this version, this heretical teaching taught that wasn't truly God that died. That was just the person of Jesus. The Spirit of God came upon him in his baptism and left before the crucifixion. There are other heresies, you can read all about them. We see them repackaged in every generation. But you see the point, there is a denial that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a moving on from the apostolic message. A moving on from the true Jesus. Maybe now we see a little bit better why John opens this book, clearly showing that that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This leads John to exhort and encourage these believers to abide in verse 24 and 27. We can summarize John's message in verses 24 to 27 in two words of exhortation, two points here in verse 24 to 27. The first exhortation to keep the gospel message, verse 24 and 25, keep the gospel message. John says there in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. There's an emphasis there on the you in this passage. You, what you heard from the beginning, let it remain in you. Let it abide in you. John is contrasting his hearers with the false teachers who had gone out of the churches. What does he tell them? He says, look, what you heard from the beginning, abide in it. Abide in it. Remain in it, remain in that truth. Don't go away from it, don't walk away from it. Abide in it, stay in it, remain in it. Let it be who you are, let it abide in you. He continues on, he says, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. You see the encouragement that he's giving to us, to them who believe properly in Jesus Christ? These are wonderful words of assurance. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. I simply ask you, what is more important in life than that? What's more important in life than this? I mean, what, think, think of something. What's something that is more important? Job, career, house, property, how you're viewed by others, accumulating. What in your life is more important than this truth and this reality? You too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25 says, and this is the promise that he made to us, 
eternal life. Same thing. What could be more important than that? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins. It is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical pure truth about Jesus, his person, his work. The way to eternal life is through the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man, 100%. He is the pure, spotless lamb of God. We are sinful, he is not. He, as the son of God, is qualified, qualified to make payment for sin. As John has said in chapter two, verse number two, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He's a propitiation. That means that our sins are satisfied. Payment has been made. There is nothing else needed. It is satisfied. Nothing else is left. You think, well, propitiation, that's a big word. We don't need to talk about big words. Well, that's a biblical word, so that trumps your little thought there about that being a large word. It's a biblical word, propitiation. It's important because it tells us Jesus paid everything that was needed to be paid. He paid it all, if you want to put it in a different, define it. He paid it all. He paid for everything. And the promise he gives because of who he is, is eternal life. Life eternal because of Jesus. John wants them to know this fact. He lays this out before them. He commands them to abide in it, to keep the gospel message. That's one of the whole reasons, one of the main ones, why he wrote this letter in the first place. 1 John 5, verse 13, right at the very end, he says, I write these things. I assume they're talking about the book, just, just a summary passage of the book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why he wrote this book. That's why he gives all these, you could say, tests, kind of the doctrinal test, the love test, the remaining, the abiding test, the tests of the spirits that we're gonna to get to, that we're gonna see. John is saying, look, I'm writing that you may know that you have life eternal if you have Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let that truth abide in you. Keep it. Remain in it. Hold it. Keep the gospel message. His second exhortation, beware of those trying to lead you astray. He says in verse number 26, another I write, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Those trying to deceive you. The thing about false teachers is that they don't wear a name tag. They don't come up and say, hello, my name is this, I'm a false teacher. My name is false teacher don't believe a word I'm saying else it'll condemn you you want to hear what I have to say right that's not how this works false teachers think they are right 
that they have understood the truth and they've got it right and you've got it wrong. So you have different people, some saying this is the truth about Jesus. No doubt, these, I, I think these people that left the church, I think they were very smart people. I think they were very influential people. They were people who were in the church and believed the right thing and they left the church because they have some new knowledge that needed to be shared and it was something to add on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was something to take away from who he was. And they said, you need to know this in order to come to God rightly. So who gets to say what is right? Who gets to say what is wrong? How do you know, just think about all the teachings in the world, how do you know if one is a false teacher or not? Does this come about through a vote? Huh, sounds good to us Americans, yeah. Let's vote it in, it's gotta be right. If the majority of people believe something to be true, does that make it true? If people are very passionate about what they believe and the way that they teach the things they're teaching, does that make it true? Does passion and unction make something true? If people are eloquent with their arguments, respected by other people, held in high esteem by many, does that make what they're saying true? If a teaching is old, does that make it true? The answer to all these things is the word of God. God's word tells us what is true and what is not true. So the things that we hear have to be held up in light of God's holy word and of scripture. And if it's something that goes beyond what God's word says, we need to cut it away. If it's something that falls short of what God's word says, we need to toss it to the side. We have to be able to Know God's word to be able to know what is true and know what is false. John goes on and he states, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is abiding, abiding in every believer. He says, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Kids, stitch that on your backpack when you go back to school. That would be a great one. I have no need that anyone should teach me. That's what my pastor said. <laughs> Again, John is, John is saying here, hopefully uh, all the kids are asleep and not listening. No, I'm just kidding. John is saying here by this, what does he, what does he mean when he says you have no need that anyone should teach you anything? Right, it's just fun twisting verses out of scripture. It helps us, uh, or yeah, taking texts and twisting them help because people, we do it all the time on other things that are, Anyway, I digress. What's he saying here? He's saying, look, you are in the know. You don't need these teachers that have left. You don't need anyone to teach you. You've already heard and received what is true about Jesus Christ. You don't need to go beyond this. I have no new information for you. Nothing new for you to move on from. I've already delivered the gospel message to you. I'm telling you, you need to remain in it. He says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. The second command here to abide in these verses, first verse 24 to 25, now 26, 27, the command to abide in Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches us he is true. He has nothing to do with a lie and we are to abide in that truth. If these church members accepted the teaching of those who left, they would cease from remaining in Christ. 
They would go beyond the truth of Jesus. You see, what we actually believe about Jesus is drastically important. It's drastically important. There are many things today that call us away from the biblical truth about Jesus. There is always a temptation to either subtract to or add to the gospel message or to just neglect it. Just think for a moment of the New Testament. Think of the book of Galatians of those who started well, but then began to think that they were being perfected by their good works in their life. Yeah, we accepted this whole grace and faith thing through Jesus Christ, but if you don't do these good works, then you're not going to continue to be saved as if their good works were what saved them. Or the flip side of the coin, think of the book of James, the opposite error teaching us that good works are not optional for a believer, but are, necessar but are a necessary outgrowth of true saving faith. This is kind of the thought that, well, I'm believing in Jesus, I'm trusting in him, I don't really have to wor worry about that whole sanctification thing. I mean, it's a wonderful relationship. God loves forgiving, I love sinning. No, the point of the passage there, James is saying that is not what true faith is looks like. Paul in Galatians, the opposite side. Think of Jude who warns his hearers in his book. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You hear the abiding, persevering language in there. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And Jude mentions in the next verse, verse number four, about those who have crept in, quote unquote, in that verse, crept in to their churches to try and distort the gospel message. Brothers and sisters, just consider all the voices today that we have access to through the internet. Beware. Beware of new and old fad, of deconstructing your faith, teachers who twist the truth, who go on from God's word, who add to or to take away. This is nothing new. It's been happening since the time period and the delivery of these letters and every generation since. There are voices that will call out to you, I can guarantee it, that will call you to believe something different than what the Bible teaches. We all face it. We all face it. There's some, we all face something along those lines. Many times I, it will happen in our life. It will be a temptation to move on from, to not remain and abide. It's hard persevering in stuff, isn't it? It's hard. Just, just the concept of persevering is hard. But we must, we must, we must persevere in the truth of God's word and what the Bible tells us about Jesus and how it is that we are saved and what it means to be saved. There's many teachers today who twist the truth, who add to, who take away. Their numbers are almost uncountable. But we are called to remain, to abide in the truth that we have received from God's word. There are many antichrists in the world. Be concerned with 
that present temptation more so than kind of big A antichrist that would take our focus off of things immediate and that might destroy us to be focused on something far away that might or might not happen in our lifetime. Be more concerned with death because in 100 years, none of us will be here. Be more concerned with that reality and let us believe rightly. Let us love and cherish the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world adrift, doing whatever seems right to themselves. Let us anchor our lives in the truths taught in God's holy word. Let us, as a church, hold the gospel truth firm. Brothers and sisters, it is the last hour. Let us hold tight to the gospel message. Let us abide in it, believe it, receive it, remain in it, and hold on to and persevere in believing in Jesus. Let us persevere in the faith. And let us persevere in the faith together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word that teaches us truth, that shows us reality. Father, would you do your work in our lives through your Holy Spirit? Would you help us either for the first time or for many times in the life of a believer to hold on to Jesus Christ and to trust your promises, your promises to save, your promises for eternal life, to confess our sin before you and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Father, do your work among us. May your, life, may your word give us life through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.